I think the exciting thing about defining culture is to sort of understand that what really drives how people behave in this ecosystem and in this company and how much can you influence that and how much you can't and how much you can actually just change yourself to make your whole company become better and to have a better culture. Hi, I am Sophie Vu and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So, are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin. I'm very excited to tell you more about today's sponsor, Sourcetan. I've been a big fan of Sourcetan Mission since I met the founders in the early days. As a product manager, I believe in deeper player research at a human and psychological level, understanding the why of the players instead of relying solely on behavioral data. The player intelligence products offer the insights you need to create novel experiences in your segment. Whether you're developing a new title or improving a live experience for millions of players, Solstein AI-driven psychological insights provide a depth of player understanding that is impossible to achieve with surface-level metrics. Create more accurate product assumptions, accelerate development cycles, and improve marketing performance when you understand your players at a fundamental human level. Visit go.sourcen.io slash riseandplay, that's S-O-L-S-T-E-N, for a demo and receive 30% off your first Solstein engagement crafted to your studio's needs. Learn why EA, Supercell, Wooga, and more use Sourcetan to create the best human-centric gaming experiences possible. So hi everyone, here we are with another episode of uh, Rise and Play. And yeah, in this series, I'm focusing a lot on more practical topic, and especially one that is a never-ending topic, which I'm very passionate about as well, is about company culture. So UC is a games industry veteran who has been developing games for more than 20 years. He's the loud and proud CEO and co-founder of Nitro Games, a Finnish mobile games powerhouse. And UC is a versatile leader with experience from development and publishing to company management and funding. His recent focus has been on building a multinational team, growing and succeeding by sharing the same values and vision. And also worth noting that Nitro Games is a Nasdaq First North listed mobile games company focusing on action and shooter games on mobile. So hey, you see, welcome. Hey, Sophie. Thank you. Very happy to be here. <laughs> so let's dive in directly into the topic because I think there's a challenge of framing. What is culture? I mean, we talk a lot about it. And, and then once you have an idea and you verbalize it, like how do you execute it? So let's begin first with a basic definition of what is culture. How do we define culture? What are the elements of what makes a company culture? What is it for you? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a very good place to start. And for me, culture has been very much a thing I've been trying to learn for the couple of years now. And it's a never-ending learning journey, it seems to me. And I've been thinking about that question a lot. And the best sort of our definition for culture, in, in, in my opinion, is this is not invented by me. I read this somewhere, but it goes like this. Culture is what happens when no one's watching. 
And mm. that's what I love because it kind of like defines culture as something that you can have an impact on. But then again, it happens when you're not directly, you know, doing anything. So, so I think that's the most brutal and sort of honest way of looking at culture, in, in my opinion. And that's the definition I love to use these days because it resonates so well with me. I'm trying as well to reflect on my end, how do I describe culture? I think in a way for me, it's more of a behavior as well, like in a concrete uh, way, how people behave, how they treat each other, how they talk, what they do. In, in, it's a lot in how the little detail of everyday life, every workday life, in what people do. So it's, it's in all those little things. And when you accumulate them all together, then that makes your culture. As well, along the definition you gave, where sometimes we think of it uh, like a very high level concept on top, like, okay, let's build a company that does this. But exactly when you're not watching, mm -hmm. what, what do people do on a daily basis on the things you cannot even observe on a leadership level? So I wanted to go further a bit in this concept and definition. How did that definition resonate with you and how you build Nitro? And how did you get a sense exactly of what is happening when you're not watching or you know, people in the leadership are not watching. Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to start framing it because uh, essentially I think everyone agrees that if you step into a new office of, a, of some other company, you can instantly sort of sense the culture in that place. But it's very hard to define that where and how exactly that comes. But it's very easy to get a feeling of a culture in a, in a company when you walk into their offices. But it's very hard to define what exactly creates that. I think in the case of Nitro Games, we've only begun to learn and define culture for, say, three-ish years now with a more intentional approach. And before that, I would say that our culture has been whatever it has been in a way. So it wasn't like intentionally built or, or steered in a way. And only for the past few years, we've been more intentional about it. I think where we come from in the early days because we started to work together in the early 2000s we were doing pc games we were a bunch of white male everybody in their you know early 20s developing games so it was the classical cliche of some mm -hmm. nerds getting together and lots of cold and pizza <laughs> and crunching and stuff so that of course defined a culture even though we had no idea that we were building a culture at that point but that definitely defined a culture how we started and that means that the culture in the first days was, of course, very much like the, you know, founders, whether it's me or anybody else who was involved in those days. And uh, whether we like it or not, that's the sort of foundation of the culture that lives with us still today. Of course, these days, I would want to think that we're very far from uh, how we were when we started. But that still has certain influences, whether it's in my behavior or, or anybody else. And I think that's the exciting thing about defining culture is to sort of understand that what really drives how people behave in this ecosystem and in this company and like how much can you influence that and how much you can't and how much you can actually just change yourself to make your whole company become better and to have a better culture and i think we've done a great job on that from during the last few years and i think that's one of the big sort of selling points for Nitro, why I think we are such a great employer as we as we are now. And uh, that's something that I'm personally really proud of because I think we've made almost 180 degrees change during a period of few years. 
I think here you touch on an important point, like where the culture is defined by the first people and the founding leadership team, as you mentioned, like the, I like the honest statement, like the bunch of nerds. I mean, this is kind of a story of most game companies. Yeah. And so what was the turning point for you? Like you said, when you started to think really intentionally about it three years ago, was there any event that was like, because I find like when you have a radical change, something Sometimes, uh, like, how radical happened? Was that the case or it was more a slow process where you understood, okay, maybe this way of doing things is not how we want it to be and we will change? I think to begin with, it was sort of a slower evolution and, and improvement, I guess, throughout the years. So we've kind of always had the mindset of improving, but this more radical change, I would say, happened a few-ish years ago when we started to really invest time and thought and our resources into thinking about what the culture is, how we would want it to be, how do we connect that to our company values, how do we define those, how do we make sure we live up to those, how do we really crystallize our vision, what does that have to do with our culture and values and all these things. And that's a time when I think, at least in my head, the biggest change that happened was that I I think for the first time ever really understood what it means to have some people in your team who are better than you. What I mean is that I think I've always been been the type of guy who loves to say that let's hire people who are better than us and you know that's a good way to improve. But I think that was a point in time when I really realized that like for one I'm getting old and some of my <laughs> you know views how I've been constructed as a human being might be really outdated by now so i think the big revelation was to kind of like let other people to figure it out and let other people tell you that how how they really see nitro in good and bad and what are the things that we want to sort of cherish and what are the great things we have and what are the things we want to tone down and maybe get rid of and stuff like that and i think what led to this whole thing was a series of many things but i think one of the defining factors was that those were times when we started to hire more people uh, also meaning we hired more people of different countries with different ages different backgrounds and all that stuff which meant that there was a lot of new blood in nitro and a lot of people who came from either different games companies or were just starting their career in the industry but a lot of new thoughts and opinions and stuff so that meant that we had to find a way to kind of like connect everything together And at the same time, or pretty early in this process, then, then COVID happened and that kind of like just increased the importance of all of this because I think one of the reasons why we did succeed so well during COVID and the remote working and adapted so well into that is because we were already investing into these things and were busy working our way through our, our culture. And I think that's something that The whole remote working and COVID was a shock to everybody because it changed the way we work so fundamentally that we somehow managed to use that as an opportunity to improve a lot in a short period of time, I think. And one thing I can share also on, on my end as I uh, joined Savage, uh, it was interesting as well where we had a lot of those discussion, like reevaluating the value because there's the startup phase where hustling, hustling, surviving for a few years. And uh, yeah, starting a company with a certain group of leadership and I joined the leadership and then like, okay, we are in a new phase post-acquisition where we need to mature as a company. We need to set ourselves ready to grow. And one value that we found 
was not helpful anymore, although it was helpful in startup time, but was framed by the founders before my time was getting things done. So it's very startup mentality. And then when you think about it a bit further, people did behave this way, getting things done. So everybody was doing everything. So, okay, we don't have someone in HR. <laughs> I'll do it. Or we need somebody to do organized tests. I'll do it. Or lunch, you know, so many things. It was great to have the things rolling and running. But when you want to mature and then it was not serving anymore and it has a cost on the group as well, because then people start to miss clarity about what they're supposed to do, what they focus and what they should not be doing. And also things are not done so well. So this is kind of the cost of it. And so we switched as well to one that was more geared towards others and as a group collaboration instead of individual contribution as powerful together. But it's an example here where we had to really understand what was, why it was there, how it was helping and how it was not serving anymore and, and switch. And so back to you, you mentioned as well that as you were reevaluating it two, three years ago with COVID and everything, how was your process for you to reevaluate the things from that took you where you were? Uh, what were the things that you decided to let go and why? Well, first of all, I have to say that what you said about getting things done, that's exactly what happened in Nitro, for example. And I can maybe use that as an example about the process. So, But for, for background, I come very much from a background where I'm really good at getting shit done. And I think that's a prime example of how something that was very much an advantage for Nitro in the early days turned into being a disadvantage later on, where my behavior and what I valued uh, started to dictate how other people actually behave in Nitro. And the end result was in, in many ways such that things got done, but not with the type of quality that we wanted them to get done. These days, we turned that around and, 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 and quality is one of our core values. But how we got there, I think, is the interesting part. And that was a process where I made sure that I'm not involved personally at all. So I'm kind of like just a passenger, one of the guys in the team trying to join the ride. Uh, the whole process was led by our people ops and a few other people. And we basically started by mapping out how people would define Nitro's culture in good and bad, what words they would use and, and all that. And this included both the, you know, the old nerds who've been here since day mm -hmm. one and all the newcomers and everything. And then we kind of like came up with this type of a word cloud thing where we saw that, okay, these words were mentioned often, these words were rarely used and so on. And then we discussed that with the whole team and kind of like distilled some of the positive and negative findings from that. And then out of those, we essentially came up with keywords that later on became our list of values like what are the things we want to cherish and improve and keep what are the things that we want to tone down and maybe let go completely and that then led into discussions that okay we have people here describing quality for example and here's the getting stuff done mentality and stuff these are actually competing against each other and that meant that the whole nitro was engaged in these dialogues where we put things to the test and which one we value more than the other and what does it then mean in practice if we choose that we value this word here and, and this whole process took I don't remember how many minutes but tons of rounds and maybe maybe even up to 12 months in calendar time so we really took the time with that and as a result we ended up having like eight core values listed we had each of these 
core values also written down as what they actually mean in Nitro, how they reflect in our behavior and stuff. And these were then things that we agreed that if we really want to make these meaningful, then we put them everywhere. They're in our t-shirts, they're in our presentation templates, in our coffee mugs, everywhere. <laughs> and then we make sure that we live up to those. And that was the moment when I maybe got the biggest sort of wake up for myself that I need to modify my own behavior and make that visible to everybody else. And then it can maybe positively influence and enforce these values of becoming reality in Nitro every single day. And at the same time, I, I also had a list of things I needed to tone down in my own behavior as a founder and CEO, because obviously I'm a vocal guy, whatever I do or say has a big impact. So I need to be very mindful about it. And that's what I think is ultimately how you can somehow influence and improve on the culture. You really need to put yourself as a leader, whether you're an opinion leader or but in, in a leading position. And I think you need to commit into very long-term process and into very concrete change in your own behavior as well. Hmm. How was this process for you where you find yourself, you have to change in your behavior? Was it easy, difficult? Or why did you set in place to watch your own behavior? Because habits are really hard to change. I love the word accountability because I think that's what it's all about. For me, I think it was surprisingly easy but surprisingly labor-intensive. And that's what I love about the whole, whole process is that it kind of like enforced us to really have difficult discussions and come to a conclusion together that what we do want and what we don't want. I think a good example is, say, I know many companies might have these days this type of like no crunch policy. Like we don't crunch, come and work for us, we don't crunch. That That's easy. Like it takes mm -hmm. five seconds to set up such a policy and put it somewhere in writing. But that's not culture of no crunching yet. And uh, then, for example, we wanted to define that, okay, we recognize we come from a background when everybody in this business, you know, slept at the office in sleeping bags and crunched to get milestones delivered. That's that, that was part of the fun, actually, when we started. But, you know, times and things have changed. And what does it really mean when we go into defining, we have a value called a life-life balance, which means that, you know, we want to em like encourage healthy balance for everybody in Nitro, because we believe that that will lead into better decisions, better, better productivity, and so on as a result. And The difficult discussions are the thing that I found the most interesting and the most labor-intensive part in here. Like, if we encourage people not to crunch and not to do overtime, but, you know, go the other way around, how do we behave ourselves? If somebody in leading position is, you know, clearly working late hours in the evening or something, that is portraying the picture to the employees that that's the way to succeed in this company. And that's then part of your culture, whether you like it or not. And what, what it says in the writing on the wall doesn't matter at all if people behave differently. And those were some of the most challenging things that, okay, how do we approach this? Because, for example, there's time zone differences. Sometimes you need to be awake in the evening hours to interact mm -hmm. with somebody in West Coast US, for example. How do you do it in a way that doesn't look like that guy's working, you know, 10 hours a day on a constant basis? And that's the reason why he's succeeding. And, and those type of things are... Then happened one by one, exam case example by case example. And our approach is we always try to surface these things. Like this might be a single case here that 
there's a milestone coming up and somebody's supposed to be on a holiday. How do we approach that topic and so on? And then we kind of like made an example topic out of that and spoke about it with a wider group to underline that we're doing this now because of this core value and because we want to cherish this type of culture. And we're not doing the other way around because we that's the culture we don't want to have here. And obviously a lot of those discussions are difficult because it's not always dead clear that what exactly is the best foot forward. But that I think is the weight that needs to be put into the commitment and the whole idea of intentionally improving your culture through through values like we did, for example. Mm. And so here getting really in the topic of what were the tools or the system you set in place to ensure the culture is lived, you know? And I can start with some example, like I've, what I've been thinking about as well, as uh, we have been reevaluating our values at Savage. And I think now after this conversation with you, it's like, I can see it's a work in progress thing where we just at the beginning of this journey, we did it really kind of quickly as a fixer. But I, I know that as we mature, there will be another round where we will crystallize it even more. What are the rules of a game here in this company, right? How things work. So giving transparency and clarity, like what are we expecting from people? So we create, for example, mission cards by jobs. It's beyond the job description. What are the outcomes expected? We also create like clarity on the mission, where we're going and how will we measure the goals? How do we give a tool for people to be able to give feedback? So keeping really it fair where everyone in theory, again, knows what is expected of them, where they're going. And then that's the choice or also the responsibility to communicate if for some reason it can't happen. So just to say, give example of what are the system that I'm thinking all the time to apply such a big value that has is ambitious. And I wonder what are the things, if you have a concrete example of one value and how you kind of roll it out in the daily habits of everyday life or in your system to ensure that it's a value you truly live more in action and behavior rather than just words. Yeah. I think the approach that we've had with almost every value that that we listed and and with all the values together is that let's make things visible. And transparency is a word that everybody keeps talking about, of course, but I'm personally a big believer that leadership is all about providing clarity. And that's the most difficult thing to do because um, that's what people struggle with all the time. And I think we have two good case examples how we go about this. One is that we took into use a system called Menti, which is kind of like an anonymous feedback tool. And we we have this habit that every Friday we get together for one hour to close the week together with everybody in Nitro. And uh, that happens always between 3 to 4 p.m. because we want that on Friday everybody stops working at 4 p.m. and then goes to enjoy a weekend and comes back on Monday. And part of that sort of Friday meeting is uh, to go through a variety of feedback. We then show on screen to everybody, whether remotely or physically. We also have questions about, like, let's raise examples about who this week worked according to which values we have in the company. Some examples where we succeeded or failed with these things, both positives and negatives. And that means that we have a platform where we constantly repeat these things to each other and highlight good performance and kind of like talk about the negative things as well. And then in addition to that, we made sure that we started to pay a lot more attention into this different sort of systems and uh, especially like different sort of decisions being made. 
because very often there's uncertainty about where exactly certain thing got decided and when and, and who makes the call and this and that and so on. Some of the tools we took into use there are simply to make sure that we are a lot more disciplined in terms of documenting certain decisions, like whether it's product related, we greenlighted something for some time or we decided to discontinue something. We just document who made the decision, when and where, what exactly was decided. It's all in writing, dates, everything there and share that. So then things are more tangible in a way. And I think the key thing in all the things we took into using variety of different systems, the key thing that summarizes them is that we had something that was already there and then we implemented something new on top of that. And uh, we didn't reinvent tons of new things, but tried to implement small improvements into everything that we were actually doing already. Then we also try more and more to have the habit of being transparent from not just from the CEO, but from everybody in leading position to, towards everybody else in the company with the sort of idea and thinking that that's the way to promote transparency also to the other direction. Because very often when we talk about transparency, it's about leaders communicating to team about certain things, but that thing goes both ways. And we invented things during the remote working, like we have a bi-weekly CEO questions and answers session where there's no agenda other than that I'm available for anybody in either to come and have a chat. And the key idea there is that whatever question you have, you're guaranteed to get an answer. Sometimes the answer might suck because you know I don't know everything, but mm-hmm. you will get an answer. And people can also submit things there anonymously. Most of the time, it's just fun talks with different team members who show up. But then sometimes when it's when we're going through more difficult times or times are more tough in general, then there might be really, really, you know, painful questions somebody submits either anonymously or or face-to-face in the meeting. And then we talk about those. And I think that's the key thing in this whole active development of culture, that if we want to promote certain values, then we ourselves need to put our sort of ourselves into the game and promote those every day in in our activities and not shy away from the difficult discussions that those are gonna lead into because the whole concept in my opinion is about taking those difficult topics and and together coming to a conclusion whether we want to go left or right with this one Mm. You mentioned about like the difficult times. I think also culture is being tested not in the good times. And I've seen my experience, uh, you know, because when things are going well and, you know, it's it's not a stretch for your values because you don't have to make compromise too hard, right? But I found like the culture being a test really in the toughest time where finances are not going so well. You need to uh, reduce the team. This is a reality like staff. You're not continuing with your game. I spoke a lot about that. And so do you have an example you could share where your culture, your values were at test in a very difficult time with your personal experience, something you had either to decide or communicate and you were either happy or unhappy of how you handled it. But I think here, this is a good test again of values in those moments, if you have an example around this. I think we've run into so many of those type of things during the years. And I think the beefiest examples are the ones where things are uncertain in a way that the moment when something surfaces and you're expected to be transparent and open about it, but nobody really knows the outcome yet. Those are the most difficult ones. We had one process, for example, where we 
had the sort of a gut feeling that things might not be going too well. Uh, it was a project where there was another party involved as well. And even though we didn't know, we had a gut feeling that maybe something is, is not right and maybe we need to, you know, be more alert about certain things and so on. And, and uh, the way we approached that was that we decided that we want to, rather than sort of see how it's going to play out and then figure out how we go about it, we took the exact opposite approach and we spoke about it with the whole company, like not just the team in question, but with the whole company, the moment these things started to surface in a way. And then we also spoke about how we're tackling it, that, you know, we're, you know, trying to get a meeting with these and these people and these and these guys are looking into that. And whenever we learn something new, we share it with everybody. And uh, then as it started to become more obvious that, okay, it's gonna end before we intended, then, then we took the approach that then we started to go into the dialogue that, okay, what happens with the team members. And in this case, it was even slightly difficult because there was some work that had to be done and completed. And, and it was clear that this team, as it was composed, could not continue in the same shape and form. But some people were joining different teams. Some people were going to go and do something else for a while and things like that. So it was a case where we both had to end a project and disassemble a team and a lot of negative things. But this started to happen sort of step by step and things became more clear. But I think the key thing with that example, for example, was that we wanted to live up to our value of being open and honest. And we shared the updates as we go with the whole team. And uh, so basically everybody who was interested knew that what we knew and what we didn't know and when it became evident. But I think uh, the most difficult things are when we are talking about the future of a team or the future of a project or the future of someone's job because I still think that there's never the right way to do those things. Like no matter whether you do it this way or that way, it's going to end up being difficult anyway. So therefore, I think having those values listed and sort of relying on those when times do get tricky, I think that's super important because then you are at least systematical about it. And then that hopefully brings clarity and helps to paint the expectations when everybody knows that, okay, these are the values we follow in the decision-making when the time comes. So good examples, and I, I can relate to those because I have experienced them. But why I'm, I'm emphasizing what's the behavior in the hard times, because this is what people will remember. You know, the positive things, it's like they're part of us, but people are very uh, unforgiving for how yeah. things are, are done uh, in the hard times, communicating and in the nature of our business, there's a lot of indeed uncertainty of the future where projects change, teams change. And there's always like in this moment where you can hold the information in an intention to just give a reliable information, but too late or share something that is not completely, you know, where you don't know uh, all the detail, but you inform people to absorb Uh, what will happen, that there might be a risk. So I found this working a little better than just holding the information until the last minute. And then it causes a lot of emotional damage where people feel really they were kept in the dark and they don't trust and they cannot trust working for future other leaders and the company. So even the hardest conversation. So yeah, and it's those moments that you really test your own value as, you know, a founder, a leader or of your company. And I think that's probably the most difficult thing that where, where do you draw the line between sort of uh, transparency and building trust in, in that way versus expectation management and not being a poor leader by exposing everything all the time, which 
doesn't create clarity and safety for your team members, but constant confusion and uncertainty, which is unfair in its way as well. And where to draw the line in which case it's, it's, it's a constant struggle and a constant battle that I'm sure every leader goes through when, when they think about these things. But I think it's something that no matter how you do it, it it's very moving goalpost in a way that it doesn't seem like this binary right and wrong thing to do because mm. it all depends on how the outcome actually then turned out and so on. And, but I think the key thing is to kind of like try to put yourself into the position of the people in question in this particular case. If I were in the team and, and I knew the situation was this, would I want to hear about it and in which way and so on and mm. so on? Because whenever anybody's leading anything, there's always millions of things that can go well and millions of things that can go wrong. <laughs> and it's the job of the leader to filter through those, the most likely expected scenario, and then talk about that. It's a sensitive topic with the humans and you do never fall in the mind of what others have. You know, some are worried for the job, some have a personal situation where they need financial stability, you know, you never know. So we, we do this with, uh, again, the most Yeah, honest conversation and empathy we can have. And I found that people understand as well, although they may not always agree, but they can understand. But I'll finish with that last question because I think one one key takeaway I can take from this is it's an evolving topic, right? I don't think I will ever have a conversation where I say, this is how you do culture. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is how you end a hard conversation because humans, we are evolving over time expectation. So what is, as my last question, what are your tools or what has been the most helpful for you to keep challenging yourself about this question, like how do I run this company or culture, the topic of culture? What has been your sources or inspiration? I think first and foremost are people, but I think the sort of key thing I've changed in, in my own way of working that has made me realize how much value there is in our people when I only shut up and listen to what they have to mm-hmm. say is I, I started using this like personal leadership coach and really be intentional about this. And in my case, it was mostly learning how to listen. As stupid as it sounds, but listening and understanding what our people what people are trying to tell me has not been my strength. My strengths have been in, you know, telling people what to do. But now I had to learn a completely different skill. And I think that's the sort of thing that if you're in a leading position and you want to change something, try to figure out how you can be intentional about it. And in my case, this type of personal trainer approach is what I needed to kind of like stick to the plan and really focus on developing myself through through these few years. Super helpful. And I see a lot of humility in your approach, like uh, this desire to you know, be mindful and also forgiving with yourself that you will make mistakes. So that's the first place. Like, uh, I, I really appreciate how you've been open to share this. And I think it's a great example and reference for others as well who may be in this uh, journey and struggling because you need to talk about those things and mirror and reflect. And yeah. you can't do this <laughs> with yourself. It, it's just, it's just not how human brain works. So, uh, well, you see, thanks a lot for this conversation today. I've enjoyed a lot. I got new ideas as well, things I need to take care of now back to <laughs> back to business. <laughs> and I hope as well it was insightful for you through this reflection conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. It was very fun and very inspiring. I also got some good pointers how I can, you know, learn more and develop my skills further. Thank you and take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement, 
please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io and there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So have a great week and until the next time, 